Good morning. Uh, open up your uh, bulletins and turn to the song, Jesus Loves Even Me. It's very good to see you all again, even if it's through my reading glasses. I can't, <laughs> can't actually see you very well, but I better see my notes. Uh, another nice week, hasn't it been? Wow, we've been enjoying good weather. You got it. That's right. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Who else would we thank? That's for sure. This morning I thought for opening I would read Psalm 2. Eileen said to me, why would you pick Psalm 2? And I said, because of the last line. So here's Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have sent my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. 
Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have uh, called us here together to worship. We thank you, Father, that we can bend the knee before you, knowing that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. The creator, you, have, you are sovereign over all that you have made, all that is seen and unseen, and you are merciful. And so, Father, we trust you. We have learned to trust you, and we thank you, Father, that your word has gone out before you and it has not returned empty, and it has brought us with it. Father, as, you, as your psalm, as Psalm 2 says here, Blessed are those who take refuge in you. We pray, Father, for us, that that will be front and center in our thinking, but also that we would encourage others to do the same. And we pray, Father, for the leaders of our country, that you would work in them and help them to be wise, help them to consider that those who take refuge in you are blessed. Father, we commit this hour of worship to you. We ask that you would inhabit our hearts and minds, and we pray that each one might be encouraged and strengthened this day for the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Helen. The next song is also in your bulletin called Standing on the Promises of God. And what better way to sing it than standing? <laughs> Please stand. Thank you. 
singing you. The next song is in your hymnal, number 310, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Can keep standing, and those that don't want to can be seated. take a look at our bulletins for this week. Uh, Missionaries of the week this week are K&K, and we are also looking, continuing to look for Sunday school teachers. So far, Anna Friesen is leading the special needs class, and beyond that, I'm not yet aware that we have any. Um, We also, there's a continuing need for drivers, uh, either women or couples, to pick up single women, And uh, the nominations committee is still looking to fill a couple of spots. Uh, See the details in your bulletin. We also want to remember our deacon elections uh, that are coming up. So um, if you cannot be here next Sunday when we will collect ballots, uh, you can any time between now and then uh, leave your ballot at the church office. Uh, For those who are picking up daily bread uh, this week, uh, we ran out, it seemed, but uh, we just forgot to put out more. So if those, are, those of you who are looking for, I think it's the large print especially, we still have more, so help yourself. Uh, this week, events um, starting today is men's Sunday school. If it gives men who want to come and sit with me and have Sunday school, uh, we're going to start today. And I would say... Um, 
Maybe some young men want to join us. Say maybe 14 and up or so. <laughs> You're welcome to join us. and uh, We'd love to have you in our circle. Monday evening this week is membership. Tuesday morning, women's prayer group. Wednesday afternoon, Bible study. Friday is a fundraiser for uh, John Lepke and his uh, garage there. So don't forget to not cook supper and go to the Winkler Zummerfeld Church and pick some up there and leave a donation. Saturday is a special day for someone. Sarah Neufeld is celebrating 100 years. Is Sarah Neufeld here? Do I see her? I can't see. Okay. Well, we wish you a happy birthday, Sarah. Well, not all of us will get there. And then we also want to remember uh, Betty Reimer at Boundary Trails. Pray for her. Remember her. That her faith will be strong. And that the Lord will have his way in her life. I'll call the uh, ushers to come forward. And uh, Joey, you might as well come up here already and we'll just pray and then you can start. Would you stand to pray, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for a beautiful week. We've had so much beautiful weather And we have enjoyed it, and we know it is from your hand that it comes, and we give you praise. Thank you for it. Thank you, Father, also that we can come with confidence before you, because we know that we are covered by the blood of Jesus, and that we are righteous in your sight, that like Abraham, we have believed, and we are therefore righteous. Thank you, Father, for K&K. We thank you for their ministry. You know where they are. You know the struggles and the challenges that they have faced in their move and also in getting adjusted in these past months. We pray that you would continue to be with them in that and that they would see the opportunities that are there. We pray, Father, also for their family life, that um, they will have good relationships within the family. And we pray that there would be growth, Father, in their faith, that they would grow stronger, learning to trust you more and deeper. And we pray that you would bless them with, with joy and with seeing fruit for their labor. Father, you know also that we, we as a church have needs. We need people to fill certain positions. And we want to teach our young. And so, Father, we pray that you would move among us and uh, bring that person forward or those people. Father, we also pray for the elections that are coming up for, our, for deacons. Uh, there again, um, probably we would all say, I don't qualify, because your word puts a pretty high standard. And yet, Father, we know that there is a need. We desire there that, that that work that you have established should continue. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in us, help us to be humble enough to at least consider, and then, Father, would you... <laughs> Do your work in us to bring forward those who might be, be servants in this capacity. Father, we pray also for the events of this coming week, that your hand would be there, that uh, 
those who pray, those who study, would be nourished by your Spirit's presence, that you would teach and that you would hear our prayers. We pray also, Father, for our membership meeting, that uh, you would go before us and that it would be a time of blessing and encouragement. We pray also, Father, uh, for Sarah Neufeld. A hundred years. Wow, that's a remarkable, uh, remarkable milestone. And so, Father, we praise you because we know you are the giver of life and you have blessed her richly. Thank you. And, Father, we also bring before you Betty Reimer. Father, she lays there week after week. We pray that you would encourage her spirit, that your spirit would be there and uh, teaching her as she uh, reads your word, as she cries out to you. And I pray that you would strengthen her faith. And Father, we ask that you would heal. And if you would not heal, that you would prepare, prepare everyone for the answer that you will give. Father, now we want to return to you what you have blessed us with. Take it and receive it and build your kingdom with it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, 
look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will go strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace We don't mind if I play one more as well This is one I, I actually wrote, and I took inspiration from Gene Autry's cowboy hymns, uh, Silver Spurs on the Golden Stairs. On a cow camp on the east side of western Manitoba, a young man and his Bible lay asleep on the hide. When the prettiest sunrise came over the prairie He rose with the others to take the long ride It was one hundred miles to the blue hills of Brandon For a fair trade and acres of community land And before they departed Young man said a few words, he invited them over, stuck out his hand. Said, fellers, I've heard of a cowboy named Jesus, who ropes up God's children for the big rodeo. You know I don't do much reading, but I picked up the good book, and in Matthew it tells me of the place I must go. Well, they all started scoffing and putting it down Saying that don't belong here, just throw it away But he didn't keep silent, so when he wasn't looking They threw his worn Bible in the ashes that day It wasn't too easy to get your hands on a good book So the Lord came on down Put out the flame And all the buckaroos Stepped backwards In utter amazement Saying surely we'll never more Slander his name Fellers I've heard Of a cowboy named Jesus Ropes up God's children For the big rodeo You know I don't do much reading But I picked up the good book Matthew, it tells me of the place I must go. Yes, and Matthew, it tells me of the place I must go. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. Thanks, Joe. All right, well... We don't get many opportunities to do the children's story here, and so uh, I guess we can call the children up, except today, it's still COVID, so you guys can all sit in your seats, and just like last time Char told the story, uh, just remember, just think of yourselves all as maybe, you know, um, age 8 and up, maybe till age 12, so you guys can uh, answer questions or, or be shocked just like a little kid would be. So today... I want to ask you a question. 
Are there any items in your house that uh, you are not allowed to touch or use? Are there any items like that in your house that you're not allowed to touch or use? And I got a little bag here of, of items. So, first thing, can all of you guys use a fork? Yeah, you can. All of you guys are, yeah, you guys are all used to using a fork. So, yeah, so we use this all the time, except you probably wouldn't give this to a kid who's maybe one or two, and they might hurt themselves. But yeah, for the most part, we can all use a fork, right? A fork or a spoon. Okay, let's keep diving in there. Um, actually, you know what? When uh, we had a waffle iron one time, we thought a waffle iron, that's, that's very useful. Um, we make waffles in the morning, and uh, but all of a sudden we found out it's a little bit dangerous. As Zane was using that waffle iron, he slammed it on his finger and his nail came off. We rushed him to the hospital. They sewed it back on, and now he's a part of War Amps. So, so you can actually be a part of. Uh, it can be a, a useful tool, but it also be a little dangerous. Well, I love this opportunity to share with you a little bit about the Ugt as well. Now, in the Ugta house, there's a lot of things that are off limits too. Um, this thing. So, an Ugda man really needs this as a helpful tool, right? He needs it to get food for his family. He'll go hunting from his little hut. He'll hide it in the roof, but he'll take this arrow, he'll take his bow, and he'll go out and he'll hunt himself a deer or a pig and bring it back. So that's very useful. So we need this in a house. But will, will a kid give this to a three-year-old to hold this arrow and start swinging it around? No. So I'll put that one down there. Okay, so now this, this is one that could get me in trouble maybe, hey? So in Ogdaland, this is a very helpful tool. Kids even up till four will be using a tool, something like this. Can any of you kids use something like this in the home? No, probably not, but this is so useful. You need this for everyday life. Even if you're, you know, whittling something, you're making your arrows, you're making... Um, food, you're chopping up some meat, even after they go hiking on a, or a hunting trip, since the men don't have any sandals when they go hunting, they often get slivers or, or thorns in their foot. So then they'll take this helpful tool and they're actually dig out those thorns from the calloused foot, which is kind of sick if you really think about it. So this is a very helpful tool. But if a kid maybe two years old or three years old will grab this and start swinging it, it could be very, very dangerous. At five in the tribe is basically when a kid will get a machete like this because it's so helpful and so needed. So when our boys turned five, we bought them a machete so that they could survive in the jungle with their buddies. So, one more thing. A lighter. Now, when an Ugt is in the village, he needs a lighter, he needs matches, he needs something to start a fire so that he can cook with, so that they can stay warm in rainy season. So they have this with them all the time. So it's a very helpful tool. But I've seen when little kids will see this lighter sitting around the, in their little hut, and I've seen a house go up in flames because they've been playing with the lighter or they have a rubber band that they need for spear fishing, and the kid says, oh, I need to start a fire. So he'll cut off that rubber band, and he'll light the fire, and all of a sudden the helpful tool that his dad had is all of a sudden gone. So as you can see, in all of these examples, they show us there's a, 
that these things can either be very helpful tools or, ab- or very dangerous. Did you know that we carry something around with us all the time that is the same thing? That's a very helpful tool or very dangerous. Can any of you think of what that might be? A Bible. Yeah, I see somebody holding a Bible. What do we have with us that is either a very helpful tool or a very dangerous weapon? Your tongue. James 3, 1 to 12 says exactly this. I won't read the whole section, but just listen to this. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. Oh, goes on. It says this, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. If you really think about that when this was written, I wonder what kind of fish they would have tamed. Anyways, that's for another time. But you can tame all kinds of animals, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. Sometimes it praises our Lord the Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So if you think about that, like all these tools that I, saw, that I showed you earlier, they can either be used for good or for bad. Now, if we talk about the tongue, maybe you guys might even want to just say it. In Agda, it's called Dila. Do you guys want to say that for me? Dila. Dila. You guys are awesome Agda speakers. I love it. So, basically, God's given us this gift of the tongue. It tastes and it speaks. He's given us the great ability of language. But it can also do things like tell untruths. It can, it can lie. It can be disrespectful. It can fight. It can cause quarrels. On the other hand, the Lord has given our tongue so that we can be kind that we can encourage one another, we can give compliments, we can cheer, we can support one another. And I think especially in this time, it's not just for kids, but it's for adults too. Never have there been so many quarrels and stuff around people, around believers, especially around all the things that are going on in the world right now. So I think it's a great reminder that we should think before we speak. Many of you have heard that before, but I would take it one step farther. Let's ask the Lord for wisdom, for guidance, as we use this powerful weapon of ours for either good, well, no, we will use it for good and ask the Lord for guidance for it. Thank you very much, you guys. Scripture reading this morning comes out of the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thus far the reading of God's word. This morning we want to begin a nine-part message series entitled The Overflowing Provisions of God's Grace. In this series, both Pastor Victor and I will be bringing the message messages. In an article found in C.S. Lewis Institute entitled Wise Christians Clip Obituaries, Gary Thomas tells the story. As Vice President in the 1880s, George H. Bush represented the United States at the funeral of the former Soviet leader, Leonard Brezhnev. Bush was deeply moved by the silent protest carried out by Brezhnev's widow. She stood motionless by the coffin until seconds before it was closed. Then just as the soldier touched the lid, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must, be sure, that must surely rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and made the sign of a cross on her husband's chest. There in the citadel of secular atheistic power, The wife of the man who had run it all hoped that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life, and that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross, and that same Jesus might have mercy on her husband. Close quote. Yes, in an atheistic regime, people look for hope, not only hope for this world, but hope for beyond the grave. A person is more than just a cluster of cells that make up organs that form a person. The scriptures tell us that man is made in his own image, God's own image, and that there is life beyond the grave. Once we die, we will either spend our destination either in heaven or hell, with God or apart from hell, or apart from God. I've entitled this message, The Blessings of a Living Hope. We have a living hope that makes all the difference 
in the world. Pause there, bow your heads with me as we pause together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you realizing that you give us a hope. There is a living hope who is Jesus Christ, the one who can guarantee all the promises that are ever made in the Bible. He is the one who is also the creator, sustainer of all things. And it is this hope that we put our faith. It's not a hope of uncertainty or wishful thinking. It is a hope of certainty that Jesus is who he claims to be and that he will fulfill every promise in the book. Now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts once again as we look into your scriptures For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The blessings of a living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 12. Number one in that we are elected but strangers. We are elected but strangers verses 1 and 2. Salvation is the greatest theme that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. The Bible opens up with the creation of man and also the fall of man. It closes with the description of heaven and the believers waiting for the glorious return of Jesus Christ when he comes back to take all those who love him. Jesus came to the earth to redeem man and save him from death, hell, punishment, judgment, and the wrath of God. The opening verse says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatians, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Here, Peter identifies himself as an, an apostle. He's an eyewitness of Christ who, was, who walked and talked with the Lord Jesus. He was called by Jesus to come and follow and to be part of his ministry. Now Peter is not just a messenger of the Lord, but one who is also an interpreter and also who is authoritative. This letter is addressed to God's elect. According to verse 1, to God's chosen or, or pardon me, and uh, God's chosen in verse 2. In other words, God has chosen and handpicked those people he wants to be with them. The same way that God chose the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. Moses said to the Israelites this, The Lord did not set his affections on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possessions. When God chooses us, he does not choose us because we are great individuals. He does not choose us because we can do great things for him. He chooses us for our own reasons, and no one can take pride why God chooses them. So we are a chosen people that Peter is speaking to, to in this Pardon me, so who are these chosen people that Peter is speaking to in this letter? They are Christians, both Jew and Gentile, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
They have been chosen for salvation, and they themselves have also chosen God. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 says this, Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Colossians 3.12, as, as Paul writes to this, uh, at the, as he writes to the church at Colossae, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then Paul writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. So the question is, where are these people located that Peter is writing this letter to? According to verse 1, these are the believers who are scattered. They're scattered. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania. These are the provinces of the Roman Empire. Today, these places are located in modern Turkey. If one would look at the Roman Empire, one would see that Peter was writing writing the names of the provinces in an encyclic manner. In other words, it began with Pontus, Galatius, and made a round circle right back to the beginning. It's interesting, though, that the reason why how this letter was delivered was in that same way, and he writes how this letter had been delivered right around the same way in that order, scattered throughout the province, scattered throughout the Roman Empire in the provinces, also scattered those people, believers scattered through there. Notice that Peter called these believers strangers in the world. They're strangers. Strangers. In other words, they are aliens and they are refugees. And the place they live is not their natural home. Most of us do not know what it's like to be an alien or a refugee. So it's hard for us to identify. At some point in our lives, our ancestors came to this land. They were like foreigners. They were like strangers. And you and I don't identify with that right now because we haven't been like that. Most of us here have been born here. We've been raised here. And so we identify with the culture. However, take it the other way where people will come in from another place. All of a sudden, they come in with a different look. Just imagine if you came from a different country and a culture and spoke a foreign language and wore other clothes. You would stick out like a sore thumb. It would not be a good feeling because you would feel different than everyone else that was around you. In the spiritual realm, this is true for every believer. This world is not our home. Our beliefs, our values, our lifestyle are different because we are citizens of another dimension, a dimension that is called heaven. Although we are just passing through, we are passing through to the home where we will be forever. 
So we can see that these early believers had the blessings of a living hope. Although they were different from the world, they were chosen for salvation according to the scriptures. They also lived as strangers and aliens at the same time. Yes, they had the hope, they had salvation, but strangers and aliens in this world. Now we come to the second promise of the blessings of the living hope, number two, in that we are given a new birth and an inheritance. We're given a new birth and an inheritance. We have already stated that every believer were strangers and aliens in a foreign land. As one reads through the letter, there are several places where Peter addresses suffering. Yes, throughout the book, because these people had been scattered and they were suffering for their faith. They were being persecuted and often had to give their lives in order to stand for their faith. When we as believers have problems and hardship, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. Also, we need to focus on our salvation, eternity, and the promises of what to come. What keeps us going when the hardships come? What keeps us going when it is difficult? It is Jesus, but it is also focusing our attention on him and the truths in the scripture and what is to come in the promises that Christ has given to each one of us who we will be recipients one day. We need to focus on Christ. Number three, or verse three says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his grace, mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. In the Old Testament, God was rarely called Father. But on the other hand, Jesus always called God Father, except on one occasion when he uttered those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Peter tells us that God is our Father, and God is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, we are called to come before the Lord because our Father loves us and we can have a personal relationship with God. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father, which is art in heaven. Our Father, yes, God is a loving Father who wants the best for his children. As believers, we can focus on that God is our Father. We are not equal with God like Jesus was because God was in the flesh. But we are a child of God and we belong to him the moment we make our decision to follow him. Everything changes when we come to know Christ as our Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, Therefore, if as anyone is in Christ, he is a new Creation, the old has gone, the new has come. We have a new life. We have a new relationship with God, a new nature, a new family, a new home, a new goal, and a new destination. 
Peter wants believers to know that wherever, whenever they are suffering, they need to focus on what God has done for them and the blessings that are still to come in the future. You and I don't realize what God has for us. And if we did, we would probably be jumping up and down. God has great things for everyone who loves him. And I has not seen what God has prepared for those who love him. The exciting part is that he has given us a new birth into a living hope. The living hope is eternal life. The living hope is eternal life. It is a promise that we can stand upon because Christ died in our place and rose again. Since Jesus lives and is God in the flesh, the believer has a certainty and assurance that they will have eternal life. Titus 1-2 says this, tells us, a faith and a knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. A God who does not lie. Lie. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 18 and 19 tells us God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And verse 19 of Hebrews 6 says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have that hope. The living hope is the assurance and the confident optimism that we have eternal life. It is based on the word of God. It is based on Jesus' promises. Then in 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. What a promise. It'll be there for eternity. When going through trials, problems, suffering, Peter wants the believer to look past the sufferings towards their inheritance. So what is the believer's inheritance? What is the believer's inheritance? John MacArthur says this, Life, righteousness, joy, peace, perfection, God's presence, Christ's glorious companionship, rewards, and all else God has planned in is the Christian's heavenly inheritance. Our inheritance is companionship with Christ. When you get Christmas gifts or birthday gifts, do you value them more than the person who gives you that? Surely as parents and grandparents, when we give gifts to our children or grandchildren, We want them to value us more than the gift itself. 
And yet that's the greatest gift that Christ gives to us down here and for all eternity. It is himself and that we have a relationship and a fellowship and he becomes our joy and our sustenance throughout this life and the life to come. And in the life to come, we live forever and ever with Christ. Let's look closer at what our inheritance also includes. Verse 2 tells us an inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil, can never fade, kept in heaven for you. Everything in this world is fading away. Everything in this world is changing. We just have to look in the mirror and we say, we're fading away. And some people say, I don't believe I'm fading away because every time I look in the mirror, I see more of myself. But we are fading away. We're getting older. And one day, we're going to leave everything behind. And so we can build up all the wealth that we want. We can do whatever we want. We can uh, try to enjoy everything which is impossible, but that's all passing away. And only what is done for Christ. And only what we do in this life do we carry into the next, which has nothing to do with accumulation of things, but only the accumulation with sharing the gospel with other people. Everything in this world is fading and passing away. So when we compare our short-lived lives, 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years at its best, it is nothing compared in the enduration of eternity. It is nothing. It's like a dot on a little spot here as compared to the dots that it would take to go from one end of the universe to the other. In other words, it does not compare our tiny little bit of time. We live for the next world. Jesus says it's clear in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. There, take your treasures and use them for eternity. Take your treasures and minister to other people. Take your treasures and win souls for Jesus Christ. Take your treasures and do the biddings of the Lord. For that is what will last forever. God's power shields our inheritance. That is in eternity. On earth there is no permanent shield. Governments and corporations can make all the promises they want, but they cannot follow through with their promises all the time because they are finite creatures and they fail us. Who would have ever thought the Sears would fold? But they did. And Cheryl and I bought most of our appliances from then. And we also purchased extra warranty. And when they went down, guess what? We lost our money. 
the extra warranty was gone because they not, could not carry through on the promise. This is an example of what will happen to everything down here when we place our faith in things down here. There is only one who will carry us through, and that is God, because he makes the promises and he has the qualifications to carry them through. When times are good, we can be tempted to live for this life, right? When there's no problems, things are going our way, life is clear and sailing because that's all of what we want. When things are good and we're sailing away, we don't really have to pray. We don't have to trust God. This day, we will go home, most of us, and I don't know the situation of everyone, but we don't have to pray, Lord, will you give me food today? Today, we'll thank the Lord, but we don't have to pray and ask. And many people have got to pray and ask around the world because they would not receive. We have trials. We have hardships. Our eyes and heart need to be focused on our eternal inheritance. That will be ours for eternity. This leads us to the third promise of the blessings of the living hope, number three, in that we can rejoice in our sufferings. Who wants to rejoice in sufferings? Does anybody here rejoice in their sufferings? Well, we have one person, but most of us don't do that. I seldom do. I have to be reminded in the scriptures that I have to rejoice in the tribulations and the hard times. But we don't get get excited saying, praise the Lord, he's given me another trial this week. We don't. We simply don't. In verse 6, it says this, in this you greatly rejoice. You just don't rejoice. Say, I rejoice. You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have suffered grief in all kinds of trials, trials, these have come so that your faith, a greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What does it mean to greatly rejoice? John MacArthur says this in a quote, that is to be exceedingly glad, exuberantly jubilant. This kind of joy is not based on changing temporal circumstances, but is used of joy that comes from the un changing eternal relationship with God. Close quote. It's our relationship with God that gives us that hope in the midst of the trials and the tribulations that come our way. Everything is changing down here and it usually goes from bad to worst. If we put our faith and trust in this world, we are in for trouble and we will be disappointed. 
If we are walking with the Lord, then our joy is in our relationship with the Lord. Our joy is in seeing how God is working through all of these problems in our midst. Our joy is in trusting Jesus that he will carry us through. The question is, what are we to rejoice in? First, we are to rejoice in our suffering. Here are the things that suffering produces in the believer's life according to verse 7. What does suffering produce? First, that our faith will be refined. It refines us. Who wants to be refined? None of us want But God has chosen that way how he will work within our lives to mold us into the image of Christ. Without trials, we do not need faith in God. Why pray if we have no problems? Why pray if difficulties never come our way? And sometimes when things are going very good, We get excited and we run ahead of God. And we can put God to the side because everything is going well for us. One individual that I had laid to rest in one of the churches that I served was a very godly man. His life standed without, out, or his life just standed out in the community. And I'll always remember going to their home, remembering what the children said about their father. Their father, they said their father, every time there was problems and heartaches and difficulties, he called us children to the table where we prayed things through. I wonder how many times we do that when we have problems and difficulties. Do we gather our family? Do we pray things through? Do we go and seek God first, or do we seek God second? Because most of all, that's what we do. We have certain difficulties and problems. We go and try everything, what we can do. Then we realize it doesn't work. Then we pray. How much better to go and pray and seek the Lord and then go out with his guiding us. Second trials and troubles show whether our faith is genuine. Have you ever seen people you thought were Christians and when problems came, they cursed God and they basically walked away from the faith? When problems and peril come, do we curse God or do we trust him more? Are we patient or we do we take the matters into our own hands? Third, when we're going through trials, do we handle them in such a way that bring praise, glory, and honor to Jesus? When we go through the deep waters, when we go through the treacherous times, the way that God has worked through us, does it bring him praise, glory, and honor. We are to rejoice in our sufferings because they are producing the character of Jesus Christ in us. 
Jesus wants us to become like him. We now come to the fourth and last promise of the blessings of a living hope. The living hope that lives in you and I. In that we have salvation as foretold by the prophets. Verses 10 through 12. In that we have salvation as foretold by the prophets. Verse 10 says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ is in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. At the beginning of the message, I said, salvation is the greatest theme that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is the story of God's love for man that he sent his one and only son to die in the place of sinful man so that man could be redeemed. Romans 5, 8, that is so familiar to all of us, but God demonstrated his love towards us in in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. He laid down his life. In verse 10 through 12, Peter considers all the avenues that are used to bring the plan of salvation to fulfillment. First, God used the Old Testament prophets to predict Christ's coming and how he would die and how he would rise and how he would ascend into heaven. All predicted in the Old Testament, foretold, and it happened because Jesus fulfilled everything. They searched, meaning the prophets, they searched intently with great care. Second, the Holy Spirit played his role according to verses 11 through 12, 11 and 12. And third, God used angels. The scripture says they longed to intently look into the salvation of men. Fourth, God used the apostles. The phrase search intently and with great care indicates that although these men wrote the prophecies about Christ, the coming Messiah, they did not always understand what the Lord was inspiring them to write. So they too studied their writings so that they could get a fuller understanding of the coming of salvation. The whole plan of salvation that runs through the Bible from the beginning to the finish. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says this, all these people were still living, and that was just the roster of the people who followed the Lord. All of these people were still living, by the way, followed the roster of the Lord in the Old Testament, the people of the Old Testament. All these people were still living by faith when they died 
They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. The Old Testament people were strangers and aliens. Peter writes to the new people, and guess what? They are aliens and strangers scattered throughout the Roman Empire, bearing the name of Jesus Christ, proclaiming him, and suffering for their faith. We have been incredibly blessed because we have the whole Bible, the final revelation of God, and how the Lord is unfolding the plan of salvation right before our eyes as it is delivered around the world to people still who have not heard the gospel. Thus the believer can rejoice in their election even though they are strangers in the world. We are blessed beyond all blessings. We have been given a new birth and an inheritance that will never fade or be taken away from us. And finally, we receive the blessings of a living hope. We have received the blessing of a living hope, which is eternal life that was foretold by the Old Testament prophets. Eternal life, when does it begin? After we die? Eternal life begins the moment you welcome Christ into your life. He changes and he transforms you. And when we die physically, we only step from this world into the next. What a blessing. What a hope that we have the hope of the living Christ in us. Change, transformed, granted eternal life that will last forever and ever. In this we rejoice of all the blessings that God has given us. He's given us a holy hope, a living hope. The closing songs in your hymnal number 546, Our Wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, 546. Please stand.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we pause before you one more time, before we enter the doors to go out from your sanctuary, we thank you for the provision of the living hope, Jesus Christ. Indeed, he is a wonderful Savior who gave himself so freely so that we could have the living hope and one day stand before you being redeemed as your child and be with you throughout eternity. Help us to realize, Lord, more than anything, the most important thing that we can do is to spend time with you in fellowship. What a great joy it is as we walk with you day by day, as you take us through our trials, our tribulations, but also through the joys of life. So we thank you for the day that you've given us. May we go out in your presence, in your strength, and reflect your love to others. Amen. And I read to you Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you go in the peace and the love of Christ. Amen.